0: Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, what a blessing it is to have these services as we have friends far and near who are able to gather, um, watch the service together. Our hope is that as we worship, we're all growing together. And my hope this morning is that the service uh, through our, our songs that we've sung, through the scripture, through the reading, um, that it's been a help and a blessing to you. Um, and now as we go into the worship, we're our, yeah, I've been rambling. All right. Take three. Hello everyone, we're so glad to have you with us. Uh, What a blessing it is to have a service uh, recorded where we have friends far and near who can gather with us uh, to worship and to grow together. And my prayer this morning is that this service has been a hope and a a blessing and a help to you. We're going to be continuing our sermon series about following the commands of Christ. I've been looking at the commands of Christ as not just the basics about life, but the basics of our walk with Jesus. We have been talking about how these basics have to be founded on God. Now God reveals himself many ways. Uh, God reveals himself as spirit that guides us. God reveals himself as our heavenly father who works together for our good, who is home for us. God reveals himself um, fully. most fully through Jesus Christ. So when we look at these commands of Christ we're looking at Jesus as the one who's not just the source um, from whom we get life but the source from whom we obtain how to live. When we as Christians when we as believers and followers of Jesus say Jesus is Lord we're then saying that we submit to what Jesus says. What Jesus says that we will do. So learning from the source is meaning for us to not just know what Jesus says, but actually trying to do it. Some commands that we've talked about have been repent, follow me, being salt and light, loving our neighbors, and, and the, good, the Great Commission, which says, you know, go and make disciples of the nations. This morning we'll be talking about grace. Um, and before we get started, I'd just like to invite you to, to please pray, for, pray with me. Father, and God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your grace. We thank you so much for the blessing of your favor. We thank you so much for the blessing of your love. Lord, help us always remember that you've graced us so that we can grace our world, so that we can grace one another, so that we can even sometimes grace ourselves. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. If you have your Bible, um, turn with me to Matthew 5. I'll be reading verses 38 to 42. Matthew five, thirty-eight to 42. Starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What's fascinating about grace is that it's a word that is still very common in our language. It's a a word we use to name our daughters. It's a word we use to name our hospitals. Uh, For those of us in in cultures that still have royalty, it's how we address them or they address one another. In our popular culture, when someone, you know, falls from the pedestal, we say they've fallen from grace. But probably the the common definition or understanding of grace seems to stress, you know, elegance and and refinement and, and charm. And the focus is really on how we act or or how we carry ourselves. But, But what I'm calling divine grace, the grace that comes from God, is a little bit different. It's not about how we act or how we carry ourselves. In essence, divine grace is how God acts towards us and how God carries us. You know, I grew up with this idea of grace. And I used to love this definition of grace being getting what we don't deserve getting what we don't deserve. And I loved it. But as I grew with this definition, I realized that the focus is really on us, on on, on what we get and and how we don't deserve it. And, And for me, that was a good entry point. But I think when you look at God's grace to us, you see that it's deeper than that, is that it's, first of all, it's freely given to us. There's no cost for us. You know, I had a friend this week who reminded me that her mom, before even naming her Grace, um, did a Bible study on Grace and found that it's really just this one-way street of God's blessing to us. So Grace, is it comes at no cost. It's just freely given to us. Grace then is also available to all of us. God graces us because God is love. God graces us because God wants what's good for us. God graces us because that's who God is. It's also then a mystery. And I think what I found to really appreciate the most about the gracing of us by God is that God's grace has the power to not only bless us, so it's not just what we receive, but it has the power to transform us as we become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And to sum it all up, grace is a gift. What a blessing we have that our God works together for our good. Now, for some of us, we really have a struggle with receiving God's grace. You know, no matter what life throws at us or maybe even in the season, we go through stages where we're like, I know God is gracious, but, but God, do you really love me? Do you love me for me? Do you love me even though I fall short? Do you love me even though I don't feel like I deserve it? You know, some of us, especially during the season, may be asking, God, I know you say you're gracious, but, but are you really there? Do you see me? Are you carrying me? Are you here with me? Are you here with me in this? And for some of us struggling with graces, you know, we may believe that God forgives us, but we don't necessarily forgive ourselves. So when we say, when we struggle with grace, we say, God, do you actually forgive me? Or God, am I willing to forgive myself and grace myself and accept that your forgiveness is good? So I think there is the struggle with God's grace. But I think the only answer that I found is that we need to take those struggles to God and remember that grace is an everyday invitation to love and to trust God. So it's not just as God love me, it's God today I will choose to believe in your love. It's not just God, are you there? It's today, God, I will believe that you're here with me, carrying me. It's not just, oh, God forgives. It's like, God, in this moment, though I've fallen short, I will trust in your forgiveness. So for some of us, that's the struggle is, is receiving God's grace. Personally, I think I found that while receiving God's grace can be hard, what's really hard for me is knowing that God graces me, that God graces us so that we can grace one another. God's gift to us isn't just so we can take it and feel good about ourselves and say, yes, God loves me. Yes, God graces me. No, God graces us so that we can then take that grace, live on those experiences, and go out and love and grace one another. As we've been working through the commands of Christ, we've been mostly focused on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been talking about how Jesus teaches by meeting us where we're at and then taking us to where he wants us to go. We've been talking about how the foundational that Jesus teaching is is building on what was known to teach something new we get to our passage this morning we see Jesus is contrasting two things he's contrasting what you would call the way of the world or or the natural way of the flesh with with the way of his kingdom and how to not live by the flesh or your spirit but how to live by the Holy Spirit we see Jesus contrasting what we would naturally do when we're offended or what we would naturally do with asking us to do something that's almost supernatural we see an invitation where Jesus is moving us to live to love so that we can look like him. In verse 38, Jesus begins with simply saying, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth this was jesus not just um opening up the the old testament mosaic law which we'll look at very briefly but this was jesus reciting something that everyone in that culture would have known it was common all across ancient near eastern law a lot of people just summed it up by calling it the law of retaliation but when jesus says eye for an eye tooth for a tooth he's conjuring up exodus you know this passage is uh, talking about when there's fighting that that between two people and and it hurts an innocent person or hurts a pregnant person And and in Exodus, Moses writes, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And if you didn't get it there in Exodus, he says it again in in Leviticus. And this one it says, if you were in a fight or again with your neighbor and you injured others, right? The law would say anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye eye tooth for tooth the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury and if you didn't get it in exodus and leviticus it comes again in deuteronomy and this 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 one is actually talking about people who give false witnesses you know leaders who lie people who lead people astray and cause great injury the the the, the remedy that's given in the mosaic law says this what show no pity show no pity life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot this is where jesus begins with a law and understanding that everyone in the audience would have known because in that culture payback is okay in that culture retaliation was how you make things right but i think it's not just that culture i think there's a lot of us who that's how we interact that's how we feel like we can make things right is by retaliating you know years ago um, when i was in youth ministry i had this great sermon on forgiveness and and i had all these great points and and years later i think a lot of the youth who were present that night what they remember was i talked about a two-minute story about almost getting into a fight because somebody stepped on my brand new pumas my brand new shoes and I was thinking about that how this isn't just ancient here eastern law about how some of us grow up that we're ready to fight someone if there's a harsh word said against us or if they bumped us even by accident or if they just we just don't like them we are still then grow into adults who are ready to so easy ball up our fist, Or maybe in our culture, type on our keyboard when I think our God asks us to not ball up our fists, but to actually open our hands and to reach out to one another. So this isn't just an ancient Near Eastern law. This is a human natural understanding that retaliation is the way to go. So that's where Jesus starts. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You may believe in retaliation. You may believe in payback. But what is the way of Jesus? And then he gets a little bit radical. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. But I tell you is important because that gets to the heart of what we've been saying in these commands of Jesus. Jesus starts off by saying, this is what you've heard. This is what Moses has said. This is what the wisdom of the ancient Near Eastern has told you. This is what your human nature, your natural instinct will tell you. Fight, get ready to retaliate. But I tell you and that's important to all of us who call ourselves christians or jesus followers because what jesus is telling us must be what we submit to if jesus is our lord what he tells us is what we will do remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about peter and jesus saying you know throw the nets into the sea and peter has all these excuses that he can make but he basically in essence is a Because you say so, I will do. And that's the same thing we hear here again. Before Jesus gets radical, we have to understand that because he says so, because he is Lord, this is how we are to live. And Jesus uses a little bit of hyperbole here. You know, I think the English actually betrays us. Because if you just read verse 39, the first half, it says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And a lot of us will say like, no, 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 no. I am the resistance, you know? If someone's doing evil, I'm ready to fight them and fight that evil. The English betrays us. Resist is the best word we could come up with. But in the Greek, it actually gets to the heart of what Jesus is saying. And the heart is not, it's not, oh, do not resist them. No, the heart is do not make them an enemy. Even people who do evil, even people who are not living right, even people who are causing great harm, do not make them an enemy. Do not make them the opposition. You can fight the evil but you can't make people your enemy. Jesus calls us to to, to, to look and live by his law, yes. But when he says do not resist an evil person, it's a call to say do not make people who are evil so apart from you. Do not push them so far away that you lose their humanity. Do not forget that I love them too. Do not forget that I died for them too. Do not forget that they too are your sister, they too are your brother. So if we're not to resist or, or not to make him an enemy, what are we to do? I think we are to choose grace. Jesus talks about, you know, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, in that culture, that was not just fighting words, but that was, some believe, the greatest offense. And if you were left-handed, you would backhand someone, and that would then be the greatest offense. So why does Jesus say, take this great offense and then turn your other cheek so they can offend you again? Jesus is asking us to choose grace, not abuse. I think that's important for us to say. Jesus isn't saying, if someone keeps hurting you, just stand there and keep being hurt. No, Jesus is saying, be bold with your grace. And that boldness involves exposing evil. If someone's willing to do something to hurt you, you need to speak up and expose it. You need to expose that evil. But even greater than that, you must not be undone by evil. And it's not just, oh, don't fight back because then, you know, you look like the world or, or don't fight back because then evil wins. But it's the idea that grace exposes evil. And what Jesus is proposing here is not just a passive resistance, but what Jesus is saying is if they're, willing to exp- if they're willing to hurt you, if they're willing to abuse you, I need you to be willing to speak up. I need you to be willing to give grace even to them. Because the sad reality of the world we live in is that people, sometimes people very close to us will hurt us. Is that people, sometimes people very close to us, will not care for us. Is that sometimes we're hurt so deeply that all we can dream of is the day we get payback. Or or sometimes, even though we're Christian, we'll we'll, we'll make it want to be karma, right? We'll be like, oh, karma, you'll get yours, what's coming. But Jesus doesn't want us living for karma. Jesus doesn't want us working for payback. Jesus wants us to give grace. Not what I say, not what I feel, but what Jesus says. Expose evil, yes, but don't make the person doing evil the enemy. Give them to God in prayer. Give them to God as you still are willing to shower love. Give them to God by gifting them grace. And then we get to verses 40 to 42. And I love these three verses because, in essence, Jesus is challenging us, is that if you follow me and you belong to my kingdom, your answer will always be people over possessions. And I find it fascinating in our day and age that when we talk about, let's say, rioting or we talk about people in the streets and fighting, I find it fascinating that in 2020, we still struggle with the idea of people over possessions. And I think that's something that Jesus hits on here. In verse 40, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. God's call for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as as kingdom workers, is to always choose people over possession. You see, the poorest who would have been maybe the bulk of who Jesus is talking to, the poorest would be left with a shirt and a coat. If you got sued for everything, even the creditors wouldn't be allowed to take your shirt and your coat. And the idea here was that I can take everything from you, but I will still afford you a grace of having a coat that maybe you can use at night as like a blanket. Yet Jesus is being radical. He's saying, man, I want you to be willing to part with everything. And if they're greedy enough to ignore the law of grace that says keep your coat, if they're greedy enough to sue you for that, I want you to shower them with grace and say, you know what? You want my shirt? Take my coat too. Jesus wants his followers to look at things and know that things are just things because they pass away and that relationships matter more than things and that people matter more than possessions. And he calls all of us, be willing to part with everything you own. And that's a challenge to us in our materialistic culture, in our culture of like, I earned this, I worked so hard, now I have this. Jesus says at any given point, I want you to be willing to part with it all. Because I don't just want you exposing greed, but I don't want you to be greedy yourself. Let nothing matter more than the people around you. Let nothing you own matter more than the people you're supposed to be loving. And then he challenges people to go the extra mile. I find it fascinating where even in our culture, we worry about, you know, making America great again. And some of us worry about, well, when was America ever great? You know, I worry about how in our culture we talk about losing our country. And I worry about when when was this ever our country? I worry about how in our culture we use this language about losing things that we have or, or being taken over by all this change. You know, the people Jesus were talking to. They were actually occupied. They actually lost their land. The Romans came in and not only killed and slaughtered them, but the Romans came in and took over everything. The Romans ruled every single aspect of their life. And we think sometimes our laws might be overbearing or it limits our freedom. If you want to know the loss of freedom, study the people Jesus is talking to. They had no freedom. And in the midst of all this, being an occupied people with a foreign army at the beckons call, working for that foreign army, having no real freedom. These soldiers could walk up to you. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter who you are. They can look at you and say, hey, my gear is too heavy. And you would be compelled to walk a mile carrying their gear. It's to this that Jesus says to them... Jesus says, I want you to be willing to go an extra mile. Again, challenge us to give grace, even when it's unfair to us. Challenge to give grace, even if we feel undone by it, even if we feel like this person is doing such evil to me, even if we feel or are truly being occupied or people are overbearing, Jesus says, I want you to always go the extra mile. And then he ends with an appeal that maybe sums up a lot of Jesus' teaching. And his idea is, I want you to live for others. I want you to be motivated by true love. I want you to grace because you have been graced. When Jesus says, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you, it's a reminder to us, That what we've blessed with, what God has blessed us with, does not belong to us. It's a reminder that everything we have should be given back to God, and God should have access to everything, not just our hearts, but our pocketbooks, not just our gifts, our skills, and our abilities, but every single thing we think and dream about, it should all be at God's beckons call, because if there's a need that God puts across our, our heart, or need that God exposes us to, we should be ready to meet that need. That's what grace is. Are we willing to not just let our hearts break for the things that break God's heart? It's good, but a broken heart is not how God's called you to live. God's called you to bring some healing to people's broken hearts. So it's not just letting your heart break for the things that break God's heart. It's actually going and doing something about it. Jesus says, if we are to grace, we are to live for others. You know, when I think about being graceful, I'm reminded by a story. You know, parents, this is where you put, don't do anything Hank says. You know, like this is, this is your caveat, Right. Um, when I got to college, I couldn't drive, which um, most of my college were people who didn't grow up like me. They didn't grow up in Southwest Philly. They didn't look like me. When they turned 16, it was like freedom, you know. For us, we, couldn't even, we didn't have a car, much less afford a car for a 16-year-old. And our public transportation, you know, when they weren't on strike, SEPTA, you know, it was really good. So we never thought about driving. But when I got to college, you know, people were just astounded that I couldn't drive. And I never worried about it. You know, people were like, well, how are you going to get home? I was like, Philadelphia is a big place. This is a big campus. Somebody lives in Philly that they can give me a ride there, right? And I had a friend who one night was so fascinated by the fact I couldn't drive that he says, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to drive. And it was way too late at night, you know, and I knew nothing what I was doing. But we decided that this was a good idea. Again, don't listen to me, you know? And what was fascinating about it, it was so late at night that we knew no one else was on the college campus. We knew everyone else was probably sleeping. So I go outside my apartment and we get in this car. And, and then we go down, you know, the main street of the college and, and we go around the, the circle and, and the entire time he's laughing because I'm so nervous. I'm maybe going 10 miles an hour. I'm hitting the brake every two seconds and he's laughing so hard. And at first it's funny. And then I start realizing like, oh my gosh, he's just making fun of me. And I'm starting to get real, real upset, but I'm focused, right? I'm focused and we go down the hill and we go to the D lot, which is the parking spot, and we pull into D lot. And at this point, my friend is laughing so hard and I was just like oh I'll show him now in most parking lots you know you have that little stone thing that's a barrier you know you're supposed to like ease up on her and not touch it it's supposed to stop you now I get this brilliant idea that like oh my gosh I made it he's laughing so much I'm gonna slam on the brake and he's gonna go flying again don't listen to me but that was my idea now the idea was bad the execution was worse. So instead of slamming on the brake, I actually hit the gas. And we went right over the, 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 the concrete barrier. And we can hear everything underneath the car crushing. And I remember looking at each other and saying, oh, my goodness, this is not good. But after that moment of this is not good, I don't know if I've ever experienced more grace from a person in my life. I remember my friend who had been laughing at me the whole time, switching after the accident and looking at me and saying, are you okay? And my mind was thinking, no, I'm not okay. How much do I owe you for this damage I've just done? I remember my friend saying, no, 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 no. The car can be fixed. Are you okay? I I hold on to that story because it reminds me of grace. My friend didn't have to worry about me. He could have made it about his car, his possession. Yet he chose to freely grace me. My friend made it available right away. It wasn't just like, okay, after you pay back my car, you will be okay. And I was blessed and I was transformed because for the first time in my life, I met someone my age who actually valued person over possession. It's not something that's common for us as 18, 19-year-olds sometimes. But lastly, I was gifted by his grace. And years later now, I get to tell this story to not only to tell you not to drive without a license or not to slam on your brake to try to make people go further, but to remind us, that all of us have the ability to grace one another. We're so quick to talk about how our world is broken and ostracized and fighting and no one gets along and being sick of it all. But the reminder from us to Jesus is be graceful. The reminder to all of us is I have graced you so that you can grace your world. So I want to challenge all of us to take a step back this week and to realize that if the world is ostracized, your job is to bring peace. And if the world is broken, your job is to help bring healing. That if people are separated, it's your job to build the bridge and bring them together. Be graceful, for your Father has been graceful to you. Amen? God bless you all. Do you think it cut off? No, I got it cut off. Oh.